Well, to the rest of the world, he is one of the top thought leaders in business, one of the top 100 thought leaders in business. He's one of the top you know, 50 or so, in my opinion, uh, thought leaders when it comes to developing talent in business and, and generally helping business leaders grow uh, at all levels of an organization. Um, but really all that notwithstanding, I like to call him a friend. He is John Spence and he's joining us today. John, good to see you. We were We were talking in the green room before this about how neither one of us know what to do with ourselves because we're like home all the time. <laughs> yeah, somebody you spent 220 days a year on the road. It's been uh, quite a change up to say the least. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 kind of like, wow, we know where the bathroom is when we wake up in the middle of the night, right? Because <laughs> when, when you're on the road, is it to the left or is it to the right? And we're of that age, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so John, let's let's talk about who you are and what you've done. Um, your journey is kind of a fascinating one. You're kind of a little too young to be CEO. That's kind of the story. And and from being too young to be CEO, coming from, I think you were a director of PR, if my memory serves. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in the CEO role. And uh, there was a little gap missing there. And so, so let's start our conversation right about then in the life of John Spence. So we're going to jump to after I was CEO at the Rockefeller Foundation. Well, we could we could start with you being how you got to, you know, once you took the CEO position, like the, as soon as that happened and what the awareness was of the transition in your life. Yeah, I um, I, I'd only been at the foundation, graduated from college, only been there a couple of years. And I was the CEO's right hand man. And through some falter and things not going well, the board, which was I had four billionaires on my board. and Everybody else was worth more than 100 million dollars decided to put me in temporarily. I was 26 and uh, things went well enough because I had amazing people around me, amazing team that I stayed in that position for about six years. And then I was hired away from there to become the CEO uh, at, at 34 of an international strategy firm that helped companies close deals of $100 million or larger. So that's when I started Global Travel. And what, what I saw in your journey was that you weren't ready to be prime time, right? And so you found yourself with this knowledge gap of, oh my gosh, I'm the CEO now. And, and, and frankly, I think, in all due respect, I have a lot of colleagues who are CEOs of much larger companies than in my company, but you know, there's an imposter syndrome that goes on for a while. Like everybody's coming to you as if you know what you're doing and uh, you gotta, gotta fake a little bit of it until you make it. But frankly, you, double down on trying to figure out how to fill in the gaps at such a young age. Uh, yeah. So kind of talk a little bit about that, that journey. Yeah. Well, let's make something clear, Joseph. Everybody still has imposter syndrome. Uh, I do. I'm going to guess you do at some level. I'm coaching several senior executives right now from companies as large as well, multi-billion. And the same thing when I was young, they're feeling the same thing running these big companies, which is laying in wait, awake at night going, when are they going to figure out? I have no idea what the heck I'm doing. But uh, when I when I made that jump, I realized a couple of things. Uh, a, that's when I became a fanatic for reading uh, just as much as I could. And actually, Mr. Rockefeller, it was cool, had a right-hand man named Charlie Owen. And every Monday, Charlie would walk into my office, put a book on my desk and say, I'll see you Friday for lunch. And then on Friday, he would grill me about the book. You know, what was this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. Then the most important thing he did, which is stuck with me my whole life, he would say, all right, now, what are the three things you're going to apply from what you learned? 
I would tell him, he would write them down. He'd say, okay, now you're going to be held accountable for doing that in your job. And he handed me another book. So that I mean, was- We all have to have someone like that. I mean, that's just a, a, I had, I remember coming up that I had a supervisor of mine who had a very similar approach, except he was more torturous than that, in that, that we would have to have our supervision when he ran. So literally I would be running alongside of him. We're like five miles down the road and he's still asking me these questions and he's not saying much, right? So I'm out of breath and, oh yeah. So, but it's the same concept. Like let's let's be accountable on a day, on a regular basis to increasing our knowledge and our, our personal growth. So, so you read voraciously, you filled in some of the gaps from your own ability to take what you read and apply it in your life. And then somewhere along the way, I gather you decided that a lot of people who you were interacting with were not finding work joyful, fun, and they were getting lost in the complexity of it all. Yeah, that was the big stepping stone. I, I started to look around and I'd been studying, reading, learning, had mentors and everything. The companies I had been running were doing fairly well and I realized this, it, running a, a successful company shouldn't be this shouldn't be that hard. You know, there's not a gazillion things you got to do. Well, there's a handful of focused things that you know the old Pareto principle. This nailing this 20% of stuff is going to fix a lot of the other things, and that's what the the second stage of my career has been built on is looking for patterns of excellence both in leadership, teamwork, everything, but especially at an organizational level. So let's talk a little about some of that. I don't think you ever set out to be a, an author. Um, when you were there, you were a CEO, you figured it out. You saw other people weren't having as much fun. You love, you're like a, you're like a, a, a guru of business. You love business. You're kind of an addict. Um, and Absolutely. so from that, realizing that you had insights that you could translate to others. So that was a gift of yours that you then start offering tools. So if they were to go to your website, for example, they would find opportunities to buy eBooks and things that they can't even get on Amazon right now. Am I, am I correct? With these are, these are non Amazon items. Heaven forbid there is such a thing in America, non Amazon items. Yeah. And well, again, it was all built off. Well, it's uh, years ago as in reading, I read a book called the Cambridge handbook of expertise and expert performance, about a 1000 page book written by experts about how, to, about how to become an expert. And they boiled it down to these four things. The first one's passion pretty much stands to reason you won't become world-class at something unless you love it. Uh, the next one is persistence. And you and I have read Malcolm Gladwell's work uh, on outliers, roughly 10 years, 10,000 hours. Uh, the third P is practice, but it's a special kind called deliberate practice, where you've got a coach, a mentor, a colleague, someone pushing you constantly to get better, which leads to the fourth and final P, which I, is the foundation to me of expertise is pattern recognition. Once you've studied something long enough and looked at it, uh, a pattern emerges and you start to see the subject differently. A lot of people say, you know, John, you read all these books on leadership. You know, how many have you read? And I got a couple hundred and they go, don't they get redundant? And I go, yeah, that's the best part because <laughs> they say the same five or six or seven things. So obviously that must be the foundation of this particular topic. Yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, if you want, follow John in his blog, you'll see a lot of that thematic in his blog too. It's like the seven things that are in almost all self-development books. Like I remember right. that post from your blog, for example, and in this kind of looking for patterns that, that it's almost as if the truths of eternity, the real lasting principles that transcend time are patterned 
And yeah. so you've really done, a, I think, an excellent job in your career doing that. First time I, I became aware of you as I popped myself out of this shot, uh, the first time I remember you was in this book. So this is this is a book about six characteristics of outstanding leaders. Um, it is available on Amazon, by the way. Um, and it's been redone, right? I mean, you did it a number of years ago, but you actually did a refresh on this yeah. book for time. It's fascinating. You know, you said I never thought about being an author. I never thought about being an author at all because I looked up to authors like you and other people and I read their books constantly. And I got, got a call from a client that said, I'd like to buy 500 copies of your book on leadership. And I said, I don't have one. He goes, then write it and I'll buy the first 500 copies. So that's where that came from. Yeah, it's, and, nice to, it's really, really nice to have a built-in audience. You know, when people are starting to say, we, we want a product you've yet to write, maybe it's time to write it. That's a, it's a pretty good thing. So, so that book's available. But the one we're really going to talk about today uh, is this awesomely simple book. And, and so as much as I talk about you, you know, talking around pattern recognition in your blogs, this is the theme that has been a constant for you for quite a while now. Um, and you have ways of saying things like, I think you said culture is cash, or you, you have these, these phrases that are super simple. They're probably up there, but they're, they're just super simple, but they, they reduce it down to this, the, the key of it all. And we're going to get into some of that. This book, uh, Awesomely Simple, is considered a Bible by a lot of leaders. I'm, you know, I, I see uh, commentary crossing my desk every once in a while where somebody will talk about John Spencer and on LinkedIn, someone will, you know, tag you. And, and invariably, they talk about this book as a Bible of the nuts and bolts of it. You know, so just to give people an idea, it's going to, we're going to talk about the six themes today. We're going to also, uh, talk about each of them individually, but but there is a, a method to this book. There's a, a read it without a lot of fancy fluff and then consider how to use it and kind of check yourself against a checklist on how to be able to be successful with it. Can you can you talk a little bit about the, the madness behind the simplicity of even the way the book is laid out? Well, it, it goes back to what I learned early in my career is it's one thing to learn something. It's a completely different thing to be able to apply it. It's even different to actually apply it and test it back. So what I've tried to do in this book, all the books I've written is present an idea based on my research and experience and everything. Then give some checklists so you can weigh, weigh yourself against it. How am I doing here? Did I do this? Did I do that? List of things to do, action steps, and then one case study so you can see how somebody else did it. But but I've done this and everything is Here's the idea. Here's to how are you doing against it? Here's what to do. And then let's see what your results are. Uh, it, it's all based on taking the ideas and putting them into, into action, as it says on the book cover. Yeah, it's good when you when your book uh, actually connects up with with the, the key theme. All right. So let me think. I think it's going to pop above it. Let's see. Six principles of business success. It only takes six. Huh? Six and you got it all down. These are pretty good six. Let's go to them. Uh, vivid vision. Like if you want to be successful in business above all else, according to John Spence and awesomely simple, you have to be having a powerful vivid vision. So let's talk about what that really means in the grand scheme of things. Well, I've sort of, and it's actually just I've taken the book and condensed it even more in the last several years. The key idea here is you must have a vivid, compelling and well-communicated vision and strategy for growth. You've got to think, you know, where do I want this company to be? What will it look like? How will it be for my people? 
What's the path we're going to get there? And then the big one is I have to make sure that everybody understands their role in it, how they'll impact it, how they'll make it happen. Um, I go into a lot of organizations when I consult with them and I'll talk to the CEO or the executive team. They're real clear on the vision. They talk about it all the time. They're the ones who created it. Go two or three levels down in the organization. Nobody has an idea what it is. It's kind of hard to achieve a vision or achieve excellence if you don't understand what it looks like and the role you play in getting there. All right. So let's, uh, this is, I think I, I'm doing this to you. I'm sorry that I'm doing this to you, but it's um, in my humble opinion, as good as it gets. Uh, and this is John Spence at his best. So, you know, obviously I've read this book um, and in it, one of the things that stood out for me is because I would struggle with my clients. We'd have these long conversations about mission, vision and values. And, and I can tell you that I would say, this is what, you know, I think mission is. And they would say, no, 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 that's not a good mission statement. That's really a vision statement. And I would like, I don't really think it is. Uh, and then, then you go to the next organization and they would have the exact flip on that same concept. Like what is mission? What is vision? It's like complicated when it shouldn't be. So here's John Spence and his take on it. He says, mission is why a company exists. Like that's super simple to me. And it's, it's really helped me when I've communicated with my clients. Whenever there's this confusion, I just say, no, John Spence says, so it must be so. <laughs> the argument is over now. No, but, but I love this. Now, let me just keep going through it really quickly to make these distinctions, then I'll let you respond. Then you say, by contrast, vision is where we want to go, right? So we've got this, this mission, which says, you know, why a company exists. Vision is where we want to go. And then you said values are how we should act and behave along the way. All right. So with that distinction, I will let you riff away, John Spence. Um, but I just want to thank you because again, if you go to, if you search all those terms on the, on the internet, you will have completely diametrically opposed positions. So uh, why so simple? And, and it works so well for me when I, when I present it. Thank you, Joseph. Um, and you, I'm going to back up what you said 100%. Everybody you talk to seems to have a different definition for it. And it can be really confusing. And I don't like confusing things. I like simple things. So I looked at a bunch of that stuff. And to me, it was pretty straightforward. Um, vision is what do we want to be when we grow up? What does it look like? What's the size of the company? How many offices? What are we doing? How are we impacting the world? But that's that dream of this is what it looks like when, when we're, we're headed to where we want to go. You can achieve your vision. Um, you just push it out a little bit further, push it out a little bit further. Your mission, like we said, is why do we exist? And, and the way I like to do this is who would miss us if we're gone? If we shut the doors tomorrow, who would go? Where'd they go? I love those people. What a great product or service. I, you know, so mission is who do we serve? Why are we here? What are we doing? To, you know, who are we impacting? Values, very important uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, a, they're the way we act to behave, treat each other, our, our vendors, our customers. But I have a favorite phrase. You, you might recognize this one from Walt Disney. When values are clear, decisions are easy. When you've got a clear vision, mission, and values, even the toughest decision in your organization should be pretty simple because does it align with those three things? If it doesn't, the answer is pretty quick, no. Uh, then we're gonna add one more thing in, Joseph, that, that came in later, which has now become very popular, the idea of purpose. And purpose is even at a higher level of who are we here to serve in the world? What's the, the big difference we're going to make? Uh, as they said at Apple, you know, they wanted to put a dent in the universe. So purpose now has become a real driving force of engagement for people who say, my job might not be that exciting, uh, but 
who we serve and how we serve them, the difference we're making in the world, that is something that really energizes me. Well, so John Spence, I can tell you that Apple has put a dent in my wallet. I'm not sure if they've done the universe a great, uh, <laughs> but uh, Adriana, I believe it is, or Adriana uh, Men Menendez, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, she's finding some value in what you have to say, John. Uh, we're grateful. Hey, who knew that that could be possible? All right, let's uh, let's go to the other one. So that's vivid vision, right? And, and the articulation of vivid vision across the mission, vision, and values uh, infrastructure. So let's take a look at number two, dose in the journey of six, and that is best people. So uh, I have to have a vivid vision. And if I have a vivid vision, then I got to get some people who are capable of helping me get to where I need to be with regard to that. Um, so, and I have to enroll them on that vision too. So you want to talk a little bit about, about this business concept? Yeah, it's well, this one's a pretty straightforward one. And there's a couple of things that go underneath it. The, I, and I, Joseph, you've heard me. I've got certain phrases I use over and over again because they simplify big ideas. Here's this one. The success of your business is directly determined by the quality of the people that you can get, grow, and keep on your team. Everything's about people, people, people. Everything happens in your company, good or bad, because of people. Uh, and then the other thing, like you said, is getting them engaged around the vision, mission, values, purpose. Uh, about having a strong culture uh, and, and putting those two things together, a key idea there is that the customer's experience never exceeds the employee's experience. So hiring top talent, taking great care of them, and then letting them take great care of your customers is another one of those foundations of success, which you who wrote all these books on this would know it better than me. Well, I don't think that's true. But, but you know, when I think about this people, 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 I really like it. Uh, it's like Marsha, Marsha, Marsha from the Brady Bunch days. And then we they used to say it's always location, location, location. But maybe in this virtual age, you know, we can be anywhere uh, thanks to technology. Obviously, still physical location matters. But the people who deliver these experiences and even if we're on a virtualized platform, the people behind the virtual experiences are particularly important. So I got that one. Let's go to robust communication. Robust communication. Talk to me about that senior or John Spence. Well, it, it's it, during the Great Recession uh, or the global financial crisis, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I looked at some of the issues and challenges that were happening in companies. And there again, there was a pattern. And if you'd asked me like 15 years ago, it was the first thing we talked about, the lack of a vivid, compelling, well-communicated vision strategy for growth. Boom. Number two then came to courageous communication. Uh, that people knew there were problems, they knew there were issues, they knew things were changing in the marketplace, but they didn't have enough courage to come and talk about it, put it on the table and fix it. Uh, you and I have worked with companies all over the world. I can tell you right now that before I walk in, before you tell me the name of the company, the industry, the number of people, communications is going to be their, one of their issues. Uh, and it's communications that, as I've said, robust, it's open, honest, lots of candor, high trust, safe environment to talk and over-communicating, which very few organizations do well. You know, in the, in the new book, Stronger Through Adversity, we, having talked to about 140 folks who were trying to lead through this time, if anything, I think we may have made a little bit of inroad on communication, whether it'll last or not, I'm not so sure. But I, I do know that a lot of people were communicating more. Yes. And there was a greater transparency, authenticity among leadership communication than there might have been at a time before. But 
I guess I'll ask you that. I know, I know we're talking about the principles now, but I'll, I'll ask you to put on your forecasting hat. Do you think that that we've gotten a taste of this now and leaders are going to go back to their boardrooms and communicate with the same candor they did from their bedrooms? That's an interesting way to put it, uh, the way you just said that. Um, you know, it's great for asking me the question. I don't know. I, I'm starting to see burnout right now with a lot of senior, you know, senior executives I'm working with who are sort of pulling back a little bit. And part of it is, is uh, we don't know when this is going to end. If I told all of my clients here, clients, this will be done over by June 15th of this year, be back to normal business as usual. They would know how to pace themselves. And I think the, the vaccine coming out is helping that a little bit. Uh, I still see fear. It, talking about the downside of how the pandemic is is impacting companies of, of fear of talking about things with too much candor. Uh, so maybe I'm seeing a different part of it. I see a lot more information, but I and a lot more transparency, but I'm concerned that the, that as things go longer and longer, it might be harder to get that message across clearly. But you and I are looking at a lot of different companies. What are you seeing? Well, I'm going to pass on the question right now because, uh, you know, we got master communicators in the audience. So Bill Lampton, who's uh, just one of the champ I think it's championship communication is his brand, but he's a, an amazing communicator. So we'll, we'll leave him to worry about those things. And I have Carmine Gallo coming on in a few weeks. And Carmine is, you know, like the the the. Uh, jobs way and he, he he really understands how brands are communicating these days so we'll leave it to them thanks bill for uh, being on board and joining in our our conversation let's get to things that we don't have experts listening on uh maybe maybe we maybe we still do how about a sense of urgency this is one uh, this is this is not a typical one i can i just say that i mean people might accuse you as you you would say of, of following the patterns on vision or communication or people like those are things that that are pretty worn paths, though I would still challenge people just to communicate it as clearly as you do. Um, but this one, I don't know, there is, I don't know, I always had this with my kids maybe, like, can't you move with a little more sense of urgency? I mean, must we dawdle along like this? But I don't see it as a business principle that, that typically is talked about. So wh where did you come upon this as important to one of the six? Like it made the top six list. Well, there's two parts to this. I'll do the first part, and then we'll catch up with where it is today. This actually came from, I've been a guest lecturer at the Wharton School of Business for now 21 years to the Securities Industry Institute. All got to be in a major senior executive in a major bank to get into this program I teach in. And every year I ask my class the same question. Out of companies that have a good, have a good plan, they've got a good strategy, they've got great people, got great product services, all that stuff, what percentage of them effectively executes their plan? And it used to be 15%, then it dropped to 10, now it's 5%. And a part of that is, is they just keep pushing it out. Oh, we'll get to it in our old next quarter, whatever it might be. And there isn't this sense of, there. you know, I saw there wasn't a sense of urgency is we got to get this going now. We got to do this now. This is how we get market advantage. This is how we get through our plan. This is what it takes to compete in the marketplace. Having said all that, I think that we just saw that all get compressed into about four months that what we thought would be technology and things that we could wait on and handle later, uh, we had to do you know five years worth of stuff in a couple of months and companies have had to have a sense of urgency, which leads to a new thing I'm talking about, which is AQ, your adaptability or agility quotient, which I believe is gonna be fundamental to being an effective leader in the future. 
So is that on your thing? Yeah, all those little formulas. Is AQ up there? I don't even see AQ on the backboard there. Is it hidden? Brand new. I've oh, only been wow. I cut off the presses. I love it. You know, I'm a, a big advocate of EQ anyway. So I mean, when we went from IQ, the ability to, you know, to learn to EQ, which is really kind of that social ability to uh, to prosper ourselves and our businesses by our awareness. Uh, it's really good that we have a, another uh, AQ now to, to look at. Yeah, I think the sense of urgency was brought upon us, right? It wasn't inherent to people. It was coming externally and people had to respond or die. Um, so what we have now is temporary. Uh, what you're talking about in the AQ sounds like it's something that will sustain us past this 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 crisis. Yeah, I'm, I, you know, you and I have been talking about it. IQ is important. I consider it competence, not the number. You know, not have to be Einstein. I've done a lot of research and a lot of stuff with my clients. EQ is as important, I'd say more important than IQ. If you're really competent, but you can't genuinely connect with other people and create trusting relationships, no one's going to follow you. So EQ is up there. And, and uh, But AQ was something for about two years, I was saying you need to develop this. This is around flexibility and resilience. Uh, and voracious uh, learning and optimism. Now And now I say, I, I don't even have to put it out there because you're going to be forced to have AQ. You have no choice. It's Stuff's moving so fast. You've got to be agile, nimble, adaptable, uh, or you'll be left behind. Yeah, though, though I think some people pursue that the agility dimension uh, and understand the, the process by which agile design is happening. So, you know, it, it's it's one thing to be amenable to growth and another thing to understand how to actually drive it, which probably sets us up reasonably well for the fifth of the sixth, which is disciplined execution. And, you know, uh, I remember first reading a book called Execution and finding it to be so provocative to me how this is, you know, lots of nice people in business, but not everybody knows how to get that accountability and follow through and, and drive it. So uh, in your book, you're really straightforward about the issue of execution. Yeah. And you actually use the keyword, Joseph, is accountability. Execution really comes down to creating a culture of accountability. And that's, that's based on a few key ideas. Uh, the most being very, very, very clear accountability around this is what how we're going to measure it, what success looks like, when it's due, everything, and then gaining full agreement from the employee. So there's no mismatch. Uh, another one. Uh, let me see if it's here. Somewhere here it says ambiguity breeds mediocrity. Uh, you cannot hold people accountable to what they don't understand. So a large part of disciplined execution is very clear expectations, extremely clear communications, then the 100% agreement from the employee that they understand what they're supposed to do, uh, along with the idea of they actually say to you, and I take full accountability. There's a couple other factors in there like tracking tracking what they're doing, using key, you know, KPIs and metrics. Uh, so, and and the, I think the big one that I would add in is when you're tracking and posting and, and keeping track of someone, sorry to use that word a couple of times, most people think you're doing that to punish them. In a high accountability organization that, that executes, they realize you're tracking me to help me. Um, if you look at Alan Mulally from Ford, he talks about the green, yellow, red, and how they ran that across the entire world. Green were doing great, yellow in trouble, red. And when he got there, even though they were losing billions of dollars a year, everything was green. And he told his executives, it can't all be green if we're losing billions of dollars. But they were all afraid to say something. When the first one put something red, they thought this guy's going to be vaporized. And Malali started clapping and said, finally, finally, now, how can we help you? And to me, that that was that factor that changed it.
Well, that's, I think, powerful stuff. I, I know when I was working with Horst Schultze in the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, you know, he was always about the fact that if we celebrate mediocrity as excellence, then we will get less than mediocrity, right? Like, it's almost like we dumb down our grading system if we don't hold excellence to be excellence and, and we should hold people accountable to excellence. And, and, and he was really big about saying that even the people who are excellent need to be uh, held accountable because they want to be recognized for their excellence. And the ones who aren't need to figure out how to become so. So uh, with that in mind, let's go to the last and final of the six. We got through six here. I don't I don't know nothing about this topic. I'm completely ignorant to it. So maybe I can't even set you up. It, these are words that are beyond me. So it's all yours. This is not fair. You're probably the world's leading expert on this topic. You've written a dozen books on it. Uh, I'll phrase it up and it's, it's probably behind me somewhere. Whoever owns the voice of the customer owns the marketplace. It, I only see a handful of significant, I mean, sustainable competitive advantages. Your people, your culture, your brand, and your relationships with your customers are things that if you do these exceedingly, and I'll add data into that if you have proprietary data and use it effectively, but one of the only things that will allow you to truly have a strong competitive advantage is by having incredible customer focus, owning the voice of the customer and delivering consistent excellence as defined by the customer. And I'm gonna stop here because I'm preaching to someone who's started this entire church here. Well, yeah, I've, I've, I've been in the pews for sure. I don't know why I'm putting myself up back up there now. I guess I, I worry that if I'm not up there, people are think, where's this voice coming from? But I'm gonna leave the book up here alongside of you um, because extreme customer focus is articulated so cleanly by you that, uh, you know, some of us have taken eight or nine books to try to get it out, get it out of our system, but you're able to get it to people. Let's talk about um, Awesomely Simple and kind of where John is today. We obviously, we know you're grounded like all the rest of us, but but where you are in terms of the service delivery options, because I would I would want to make sure that, that uh, we have an extreme focus on your customers and understanding who they are and how people can benefit from what you do now in this modified world. Because I, you know, I think sometimes people who are on the road as much as you and I've been, people think that the main way we can, or the only way we can deliver services is to show up. And since we can't show up, then we're, you know, we're on the sidelines, but that's not been true for you. You've been very busy. I track you, I stalk you. Um, and I know that you're speaking on a regular basis. I know you had an event yesterday. Uh, you're somebody who's done a, a probably a better job than many of the rest of us at pivoting um, in this time and space. So can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what it is that you're doing these days? And, you know, if people were to come and check you out at your website, what they might run into uh, and what kind of services they could, they could benefit from besides buying the book. And if you go to your website, they can get this book. They can get the prior books that we've shown on the screen as well. I think I'm going to have to owe you a, uh, a finder's fear, a cut of the books. Um, you know, i got to give full credit to my wife because, it, like you, when this hit, they started shutting down, 80 or 90% of my revenue walked away in 48 hours. And we, as the word said, pivoted quickly um, and invested in state-of-the-art video equipment. I'm talking, I've got a full, I've got six studios like this. We bought the best of the best so that we could quickly move talks, training, uh, uh, facilitation of meetings online like this. And it wasn't just shoulders up. I could actually move around stuff. So a lot of the stuff I used to do of keynotes and training sessions and workshops and facilitation, we're still doing all that uh, and quite a bit 
companies are realizing they're going to have to go virtual <laughs> for at least a little while. Then my executive coaching, which I was doing a fair amount of both before, uh, which travel had restricted, I now am doing a tremendous amount more of executive coaching. But the interesting thing is most companies are hiring me to coach the CEO and the entire executive team together uh, because of all the, the turmoil we're going through. It's my job to help them become a highly functional executive team. And all of it's been done virtual. You and I talked about it. Uh, I have not stepped foot on a plane in eight months. And right now we're doing just as good as we've ever done because we've been able to make that quick shift of offering all of our services online, virtually, through Zoom and all that other stuff. So if people were to go to your website and, and they were to check in on this, they can get on your newsletter list, right, as well, which is something that I welcome. You know, I get a lot of newsletters and quite frankly, I'm always torn, but do I just unsubscribe or do I just put them in my junk mail? You know, the automatic filter to junk mail. Yours is one that I welcome eagerly every time it comes out. It's your thought leadership, but you also bring thought leadership of other folks and they tend to anchor around simplifying business. The voice is always one of straightforward communication. So you know, they can certainly get on your newsletter and uh, unsubscribe if they don't find value, but why not just jump on in and see what you can get out of that? Um, that's free of charge. There are eBooks on the website. So there are kind of low cost, deeper dive books, uh, obviously the links to, to your existing books. And then there's the opportunity to get you to coach. Uh, so if you needed a kind of a coach at an individual level, kind of a facilitator at the senior leadership team level, like you described, uh, the actual hands-on training, get your you know, roll your sleeves up and get dirty uh, and, and do some work kind of thing. So that's all happening along with uh, workshop trainings and keynotes. So did I miss anything that you're doing? Did I forget any of your? Yeah, interesting thing about the newsletter, it's driven by AI. So what it does is it, it looks at what you read and which topics you pick. And then out of the 40 or 50 different places I put bring stuff from in my own reading, it continues to customize it over and over again until it delivers. Hopefully that's why you like it the stuff that you're most interested in. Well, dang, no wonder I'm getting so much Shep hiking. I mean, it, gosh, no, that's like, is, is that the only other person you pull stuff? Never mind. Uh, no. I love Shep. By the way, Shep and uh, a bunch of my colleagues and I were just did a 12 days of Xmas, uh, CXmas, if you will. Uh, and uh, it was a rock star version of it. So if you want to hear us all singing the uh, 12 days of CXmas, you can, uh, it's probably linked to me somehow over on LinkedIn, but uh, definitely look at Chef Hyken's work there. John Spence, um, what should what should we look forward to for you in the upcoming weeks, months, uh, when things go back to normal or better than normal, as I like to call it? What's the future hold for you, given this transition year that uh, you found yourself in? I think uh, you and I chat about this. I think there's still going to be a lot of virtual stuff. I think a lot of my clients worldwide are going to say, uh, I still hope I get to go to New Zealand, Australia, and a bunch of those other places. But I think from time to time, they're going to say now, we can just get John now that people are used to this. Uh, anytime we need him, anytime we want him, uh, virtually. I still hope to travel. Then I'm working on a couple more book projects myself, Joseph. I've had time now to really sit down and dig in a little deeper on a couple of topics around strategy, leadership, uh, culture. That's my, the big one I'm focused on right now is culture at a distance. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to see my uh, stuff evolving, trying to go a little bit deeper and taking big ideas and make them even simpler. I love this idea of culture at a distance, because what I'm hearing from a lot of leaders right now is it's very hard to have the cultural dynamism that you have when you have 
water cooler collisions or hallway collisions with your team, or you can all sit together, go on a retreat, or exactly. this is a crazy time to try to maintain cohesion when people are, you know, watching their toaster uh, <laughs> over to the left of them, right? So uh, I can't wait to see what you're thinking on that and how do you drive cultural cohesion in a virtual world? Yeah, all right. it's hard. We'll wait, we'll wait for you. You're not going to give up anything on this. I can tell. I was trying to tease you. You're waiting. We'll wait for the book. I got I'm it. Struggling. It's it's really hard. I'm reading, studying. Luckily, three of my clients that I work with right now are best places to work in their state or in the country. And it's been a real nice case study watching how they've maintained their culture as much as they possibly can, where some of them went 90% work from home. And I've got one that said about 80% of the people don't plan to ever come back to the office ever, maybe, you know, for meeting every now and then. So how are you the best place to work in your region of the country where only 5% or 8% of your people are in the office and everyone else is working from home? It's going to be really fascinating. Well, my goal in these things is to give people just a taste of some of the most fabulous people that I have the good fortune of knowing. Hopefully we gave them a taste of you. They can dive down deeper by going to johnspence.com and find out more about him. Oh, it's time for the lightning round. I did warn you. Lots of my poor guests never get even a warning. No one knows what's coming, but you know, at least you got a warning. So are you ready? Here are the You're just gonna give me answers. You're not gonna go long-winded, but you never do, so it's okay. Uh, so I'm just gonna say words or phrases that I think are related to you, and then you're just gonna react, and then when I'm tired of listening to you, I'll move on to the next question. Okay. Are you ready? Yep. Sheila. My beautiful wife and best friend and business partner. All right. Business book a week, 2,000 plus business books. Yeah, I've, I've always read at least a book a week, usually 100, 120 business books a year. Uh, I'm still doing that, and I've added uh, some philosophy and stoicism into it for the fun of it. Wow. All right. Uh, didn't see that coming. Tom Peters in search of excellence. Uh, the, the person who I modeled my career after, the first books I ever read, I met Tom on a flight to Hong Kong years ago and told him I was chasing him and wanted to be the next Tom Peters. And the next time I saw him was at the Thinkers 50 Award for the top 50 thinkers in the world. I was on the shortlist number eight, and he had just won his Lifetime Achievement Award. And he sat next to me at dinner, and I told him, do you remember me? I was the guy that said I was going to catch you, catch you. And he looked at me, well, you did. <laughs> Kai and, oh, says the wrong one. Never mind. Here we go. Kai and Surrey. Pups. My pups are two Vishla. And uh, I use them as an example now for work from home. When uh, when Surrey got home, she's the older one, very well trained, national champion, does everything. To, you know, not allowed on the bed, the furniture. When we got Kai, the puppy, to keep her company, Kai got up on the bed. Now Surrey's on the bed, never getting off. This is like your employees that want to wear sweatpants all day. It's gonna be hard to get them back off the bed. <laughs> All right. I can let you keep going on that for a while. All right. Uh, all right. It's the Poranui Lodge in New Zealand. Yeah, I have family. New I have a godson in New Zealand now. Um, as, as traveling all over the world, people ask me all the time, what's your favorite place in the world without hesitation? New Zealand. Wonderful people. Gorgeous place. I'm a fanatic fly fisherman. So before this happened, I used to go over there for about a month every year, see, see my godson and his family, my business partner there with my lovely wife, Sheila, and go fly fishing together. What? No dogs with you? I mean, you could have pulled the whole story together in one common thread. We were missing two elements, but otherwise you brought it all home. 
for us. He is John Spence. You'll find out more about him at uh, johnspence.com. It's an honor. I uh, I miss you, man. I can't wait for us to get together. I think the last time we broke bread together was at the Vinoy Hotel in St. Petersburg on the waterfront. I That's think the table's still waiting for us. So uh, let's get on the other side of this, brother. Let's definitely get on the other side of this. Uh, that is the uh, indomitable power that is John Spence. He's been rated as one of the top 50 uh, business leaders, along with the guys from Google one year, I think, if I remember correctly. So uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely a player in the biz. So thank you so much for being there. Let me just guys give the rest of you some things that are happening in the very near future. We will have Joe Tenzar will be here next week, I think. Joe Tenzar. Oops, I still got John. I got to get John's banner out of there. I can't get rid of John. There we go. Joe Tenzar is uh, going to be with us. Joe and I work together right now for a brand in the South, a barbecue restaurant brand called Sonny's. Um, and Joe previously was the chief information officer at Hard Rock Cafe. And so he and I will get together. We're going to talk about what does the chief information officer do? How do they plan strategy? What has been going on in the restaurant space? For those of you who are interested in restaurants or you have friends who are struggling in the restaurant industry, how's, what's the technology of the future? What's the future of ghost kitchens? All of that kind of stuff. It's going to be fun stuff. And then anybody who is anybody knows Martin Lindstrom. So if you don't know him, go ahead and Google him because he is the bomb. Um, he's going to be with us in January. His new book is The Ministry of Common Sense. Um, he and I actually are talking about our, our books together, We're kind of doing a joint book launch. And uh, so he's going to, you know, we'll, we'll be talking about my book and his book uh, together. And then Carmine Gallo, who I've referenced before, Talk Like Ted, The Apple Experience, uh, The Storyteller Secret, Five Stars, all those books that uh, he has written. Uh, Carmine Gallo is going to be with us in January as well. One last thing, uh, kind of a programming note for those of you who are still sticking around for such things. Um, we are going to be doing something kind of funky different. So um, I my new book launches on actually technically now December 24th. There was a slight uh, delivery delay because of all this Christmas holiday stuff. So it's actually going to uh, launch on the 24th. I'm supposed to get my own copies today. We'll see. Um, and so between now and the 24th, I'm going to do the 12 days of book launch. We're going to do live streams for 12 days. They're all going to be at 545 Eastern. If you can pop onto one, great. It's going to be a time of hope. Look, 2020 has extinguished hope for a lot of people. This book, Stronger Through Adversity, is a message of how leaders will prevail. So we're going to have some hope messaging. We're going to have some fun along the way. Got some uh, some ideas for fun on those 12 days of book lunchmas. And then we're going to do some giveaways as well. So if you happen to be available anytime from Saturday until uh, the day before the night before Christmas, um, then please join me at 545 Eastern. So I'm very grateful for you for that. That's all of the promos. If you get a chance to go over to globalgurus.org, that's globalgurus.org and happen to think we're worth it. Uh, vote for us in the customer service category. It helps us maintain our platform. So thank you all. Have a great day. Thank you, John Spence, johnspence.com. Go visit.